Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Technology. I have always said that some of our greatest discomforts in life come from our comforts, and uh, that seems to go more and more as we lean upon technology. If you'll stand, though, with me, this is just an honor to God's Word and the reading of His Word today. I do have a little bit of a lengthy Scripture reading this morning. If you'll bear with me, 2 Samuel 18, and we'll end in, in 2 Samuel 19, but starting with 2 Samuel 18 and verse number 32, if we can today, the Bible says, And the king said unto Cush, is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Chapter 19 and verse 1. And it was told Joab, behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city as a people being ashamed, still away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O my son, O Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives and the wives of thy concubines in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceived that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth, and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king. For Israel had fled every man to his tent. I know it seem, may seem like an unlikely passage for Easter Sunday this morning, but we'll get to the cross by and by. This morning, I'd like to minister very simply this, Calvary's strand, Calvary's strand. Hallelujah. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? We ask God's blessing upon his word right now. Father, I come to you today. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, God, for the people that have gathered together on this Sunday morning in celebration, Lord, of you, God, and the work, God, that has been performed and finished. We're grateful today for that. I pray, Lord, but let us, God, not, Lord Jesus, step off of this, Lord Jesus, picture here today without considering, Lord, what that may mean, Lord Jesus, for us personally. 
God, for each and every one of us, Lord, in this place. Help us, God, to take it, Lord, into perspective, Lord, for our own selves and our own lives. God, we'll give you the glory and the praise, God, for what you accomplish and do in this house this morning. And we'll love you and thank you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Can everyone say amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Calvary's, Calvary's strand, Calvary's strand. Uh, The writer of Ecclesiastes approaches this idea and this concept of death. And in so many words, he basically tells us that whenever an individual dies, that they are no longer remembered. And perhaps the bigger question is this, is how are we in that little moment of time after death, how are we remembered whenever we do die? Or what does one think of death? And this may set us aside just for a moment this morning, but there are some instances that I have learned that the death of certain individuals can be frowned upon that that has happened, that they have been taken too soon too quickly had they just pranced upon this scene of life and been taken from us and we feel like a a great disservice has been done to us because life was too short for them and so it's with a saddened heart and a saddened face that uh, they they leave this planet and we had wished that they just had a few days longer upon this earth and yet whenever you think in terms if you will for a moment if you could just think in terms of the people and and the gladness and the happiness that was experienced now many many months ago whenever uh, that that seal force went in and they apprehended Osama bin Laden and perhaps some would even wring their hands and rejoice to a certain degree over the death of such an individual because with that uh, the society and the patriots of America would be saying that justice is being served in that respect and so for that type of death to take place there would be no doubt an element of gladness for some even maybe more so for those that were intimately involved in that who had lost some lives due to uh, the terror that he and others had reigned upon America so what do we think what, what whenever death comes to our door and the tidings of death come how do we respond to that uh, of course it probably is about who it is or how they're related to us or what our interactions with them were in life about how we are going to respond to their death. Uh, The scriptures that I read to you this morning are all about these tidings. It's all about this news that is going to come. But whether the news of Absalom's death was going to be good news or bad news was all according to what people were hearing the news. The Bible tells us there were 20,000 men that lost their life that particular day. 20,000 fatalities. People and their homes and families were going to be receiving some news of loved ones, brothers, uh, fathers that were no longer going to be there. No doubt their hearts were going to be saddened. But on the same token, there were going to be some enemies that were going to be laid in a grave that day. And so for that kind of news coming to some of these people, there would be a certain element of rejoicing because justice was being served. And so we have a couple of things that are vying for our attention here in the scripture today. They are 
jostling, if you will, for precedence in the word of God. And that is there's this constant fight back and forth of having happiness whenever justice is served or happiness, though, whenever the longings of love are still there and wishing that one still existed upon the earth. The context of the scripture this morning is basically this. The Bible tells us that David had a family that has basically just fallen apart at the seams. There's a lot of dysfunction going on in David's family. To follow the character of Absalom, which is a, a, a major character in our story today, Absalom had a sister by the name of Tamar, and Tamar was raped by her half-brother Ammon. And that didn't set well with Absalom, that being his blood sister. And as the story would go, Absalom would end up killing Ammon in revenge for his sister. Absalom, we read about this Absalom character, and Absalom would go and usurp the throne of his father, David, taking the throneship and the, the kingship from his father. David fleeing away from Jerusalem, but Absalom entering in there and taking control of his father's throne room. The Bible even says that Absalom took the concubines of his father and he lay with them, not in secret, but in open among all the people and among the public. And right now in scripture, the Bible says there is another battle that is about ready to take place because some of David's men seen it not right that Absalom was overtaken his father's throne. And David's wanting to go to war. David is a warrior. He's a man of war. He fights. He knows how to fight. He's wanting to go to war. But he's advised to stay home during this time because the battle concerns his own son. His son, Absalom. We have then a few different scenes. We have David that's at home. There's a battle going on. David is wondering what's going to take place. David's wondering, are we going to be victorious? David is wondering, is the news that's going to get back to me when the day is ended, is it going to be good news? But from that scene, there is also a battle that's taken place. Joab is out there with his army. They know what's going to happen. They know what's going to take place. And the words that fell from David's lips to his three commanders as they went out to battle, he spoke to Joab and he spoke to Abishai and Ittai and he basically said this, I can't, you're not wanting me to go to war with you today because this is too close to home. This concerns my son Absalom. He says, but I just have one request of you as you leave this building and you leave this area today he said deal gently for my sake with the young man even Absalom Absalom the one who wanted to take the throne Absalom the one who had murder in his life Absalom the one who was known as a rebellious man he he was quite arrogant and rebellious and this is his life this is who and what he is and yet David his father that being his son, makes a plea and says, deal gently with my son, Absalom. Well, that is not by no means the attitude of the warrior, the captain of the army, Joab. All Joab sees is a rebellious person. All Joab sees is someone that wanted to take the throne of his king. All Joab sees is somebody that deserves justice. He sees somebody that should pay the payment for the wrong that has been done, for all these actions that have been incorrect. If anything, in Joab's eyes, whenever he left that day, although the word of his king was in his ears, deal gently with Absalom, my son. Joab is thinking the best thing we can do for Absalom is kill Absalom. 
The best thing we can do for Absalom is bring Absalom to justice. And the Bible says as the story would go that Absalom went into battle against Joab and these three commanders of David. He went out there riding upon a mule and they were in a very wooded place. There were a lot of trees and a lot of woods in this place. And as Absalom is riding upon his mule, Absalom has, has quite lengthy hair. The Bible says he would pull it off every year short and just distribute it. But as he's riding along the Bible says that he was caught by his head there's a lot of trees around it it's very difficult to maneuver he got he got he got held by his head by a tree and the Bible states these words that Absalom was strung basically from heaven and between earth there in that tree and there is a servant over here that sees Absalom hung between heaven and earth on that tree and he goes to Joab and he says Joab I see Absalom he's hung between heaven and earth on the tree he's still alive I've not done anything and Joab says hey if you kill him I'll give you so many shekels and the servant says you couldn't give me enough money to kill the son of the king couldn't give me enough money to do that. He said, I heard what the king told you just as much as everybody else that you're to deal gently, amen, with Absalom, his son. Be kind, be compassionate. Bring him back home, yes, but don't harm him. Bring him back into captivity, amen, under the subjection of his father where he should be, but don't harm him. Don't kill him. Don't do this with Absalom. And the only thing that Joab can think about, you're telling me do nothing thing to this rebellious boy, this usurper of the throne, this murderer, this conniver, this one that has nothing but evil for his father and for the kingdom. You're telling me just leave him right where he is? What, what's in jo Joab saying? There's got to be justice. There's got to be justice. There's been a wrong and there needs to be made something right about it. And he needs to die. But the longing of David, his father says, I know he's done a bunch wrong. I know he deserves his life being taken. But there's something about the relationship of the father that says, hey, why don't we spare him? Why don't we love him? Why don't we be kind to him? And so we got a competition that's going back and forth between the demands of justice and the longings of the love of a father. And we can throw ourselves in this story this morning and we might be siding at this moment with Joab because we're human. If somebody does something wrong to us particularly, we want them to pay. If there's an injustice done, take them to the book to the highest authority of the law and let's get things taken care of. Right? And so you might be siding with Joab today. Perhaps you're the Joab in this story. You're saying, that's me, man. Let's have justice served. Let's go to the extent of whatever needs to be done or ought to be done. But perhaps there's some other of you that's been in the scenario where the enemy has been your relative, your son, your daughter that the injustice has been served. And we all know the heart and the longing of a parent toward their child. 
I'll never forget as a young father whenever my first child was born and she was born there and she's crying and they're still just trying to wash her down and measure her. Tears came to my eyes whenever I beheld that child outside of, uh, outside of my, my wife's womb. Tears came to my eyes and I couldn't say there has been times I have been absolutely aggravated with her. I might even say mad at her and folks you know what I still loved her I still loved her to death I would do anything in the world within my power for her and so you might be siding with David today go on and give him another chance go 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 on and, and just try to take everything into account and say well you know what we can go forward from here we'll just let bygones be bygones and we'll go a little further everything will be all right we're going to give you another chance. And so we have people siding with Joab maybe this morning and people that siding with David the longings of a father. But in reality, listen to me very well today. In reality, if we are to really identify with someone in the story this morning, we should be identifying with Absalom. Because we all at some point in time in life have been the rebellious one. We have been the one that's tried to usurp authority. We've been, we've been the wrong one, if you will. If not literal murder in our hand, it has been anger and hate that's been in our heart. We, we should side with the Absalom this morning. We are, in essence, the Absalom that's strong between heaven and earth that's awaiting a verdict of life or death. We're strong in between as though we're, 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 we just don't quite got heaven yet but we can't be tethered to the earth either and so there's a verdict that is just sitting there and the Bible tells us very well throughout the life and the story of his son Absalom whenever Absalom killed his sister we do not see anything in scripture it seems as though David did absolutely nothing it's as though he didn't raise his hand against him whenever Absalom come to take over Jerusalem again it seems like Absalom did absolutely nothing he had a right David had a right to stand his ground if he wanted to but there was something about the heart of the father that says I can't do this to my son and he did absolutely nothing and the Bible says that it comes to this point in time amen the battle is over 20,000 are dead in that 20,000 is Absalom the Bible says that Joab whenever that servant didn't slay him Joab took three arrows and he pierced it through the heart of Absalom while he was strung there between heaven and earth no doubt in the back of his mind, deal gently with my son, David says. But Joab's plunging. He says, this is justice. I'm plunging these arrows into the heart of Absalom. Amen. And here is the moment in time. They're going to send a, a heralder back to David because David doesn't know anything that's went on. He's at home hoping to see again the face of his son. He's at home hoping those last words that trickle from his lips to those commanders set well and they honor him as king and his word. He's hoping he's going to hear some footsteps here in a little bit and it's going to be the footsteps of all the soldiers and Absalom, my son. Although he rebelled, although he did some horrible things to his father, he still had love for that child. And the Bible says that there was a man by him as that was going to take tidings back to the king. And Joab said, no, Ahimaaz, I don't think you should take these tidings because today the king's son had died. 
Joab knew what he had done was in direct opposite of what the king had wanted. He said, you shouldn't take these tidings. He says, if you'll remember whenever they took tidings of Saul's death, he said, the man who just bore the tidings lost his life over just telling him the news. So I don't think you ought to go. We'll send the Cushite and we'll let him go tell the news. And he sends the Cushite, but Ahimaaz says, hey, I got some tidings. I really want to do this. And so he sends him and Ahimaaz overruns the Cushite. And there is people there upon the gates of the city walls and David sitting down below. And they're saying, we're seeing the running of a herder that is coming. He runneth by himself. David says, that's well. If he's running by himself, that means he has tidings. He has something to say. He's been over here wringing his hand. Wars, but he really would have liked been out there, but he don't know what's going on. He don't know the verdict. And he said, well, there's another man that's running a little behind him by himself. He said, that's good. There's tidings that's in his mouth. He said, one of them looks like the running of a him ass. He's a good man. That's probably good tidings. And they both get there. And Ahimaaz gets there. And David asked him, he said, how went the war? Oh, my king, we were victorious. We overcame everybody that we should have overcome. And he says, let's cut to the chase. What about my son? Ahimaaz, understanding that this is a very vulnerable place, he says, well, you know, there was a tumult, and I didn't really see everything. And uh, I'm just not real quite sure what all happened, king. And then the Cushite comes. The king asked him the question, how went the war? He says, well, he said, we, we, we were victorious. We came out ahead. Everything is well. Amen. And then David asked the question that he really wanted answered. He said, what about my son? He says, well, king, I got to tell you something. He says, let me tell you this. He says, your son is just like all those other fatalities. They're upon your field. Your son is dead. When David heard those words, he began to mourn. He began to cry. His spirit, his soul was anguished within him. They went directly against my desires, went greatly against what I wanted. I wanted him to live. I know he was rebellious, but I wanted him to live. The longings of the love of a father was crying out. And so much the Bible says that he went up there above the, t the gate there to the city. And he turned his head and he was weeping and he was mourning. And somehow word got all the way back to Joab about Absalom's father, David, that is weeping and mourning over the outcome of the battle that day. And that didn't set well with Joab. That didn't set well at all. David, you're turning this victorious moment of justice being served into a moment of mourning, in a moment of sadness. All of these people have put their lives on the line to defend you today, amen, in order to make things right and serve justice. And now you're up there above the city gate, you're mourning. And as the soldiers are going to come home, the Bible says they came home and whenever they heard the mourning of David saying, my son, my son Absalom, oh, my son Absalom, instead of coming in and throwing a parade and throwing confetti. The Bible says they entered the city with stealth. They were quiet because they knew their king was sorrowful. Although they supposedly had a great victory for justice, they knew their king was sorrowful and they came in with stealth and they didn't say much. But Joab was absolutely mad and aggravated. He was standing, listen folks, he was standing on the side of justice. What happened today is what should have happened today.
Make no bones about it. This was a threat to the throne. He must die. But David is above crying. Saying that's my son. He should live. In spite of his mistakes. In spite of all this woe. And so we have the turmoil again of the demanding of justice. And the longing of love that's taken place. And Joab goes in and he talks to the king. He said, you're acting like a fool today. These people have hazarded their lives. And you're going to make them feel bad about what they've done. You need to shape up. Get out there in the gate. Greet these people because they did you a great service today by taking a major threat from your kingdom and from your life. And so David, against his own feelings, goes out, set in the gate, and he welcomes the men as they come home celebrating having killed what they say is a threat. But to David it was more than that. It was a son. And so this is, this is the type of story we're left with today. It's like getting to the end of the, of the book and nothing's resolved. It's like the closing credits of a movie and you're set there hanging with a little bit of turmoil about how you should feel or how you ought to feel. Because what we have here is somebody that demanded justice, but a father that was still longing for that love relationship that he had with his son. And so the story, it doesn't render any closure. It doesn't render any solution. Amen. The demands of justice is one strand, and the longings of love are another strand. It's horribly, it's unsatisfying to end the story of Absalom like this, isn't it? It's ragged, it's painful to look at this. Down to earth, Joab making his demands, a heartbroken father making his longings of love. But I ask you this morning, could you have done any better in that same circumstance? Could you have supplied the demand of justice and also pacified the longings of love of a father? in that same episode without one feeling betrayed without one feeling shunned could you have made an ending that satisfied both of those strands of justice and love could you have done that I don't know about you this morning but I could not have done that because Joab's telling David get over the grief of your dead son Absalom because he deserved to die Justice is being served. But David is tethering himself to that relationship with that son and said in spite of his love, in spite of his wrong, I got a fatherly love that is toward him. And so while it is good news with the soldiers concerning this death because a rebel has been destroyed, it's bad news for David, his father, because his son is dead. In this scenario, the king's enemy is supposedly must be destroyed, but in doing so, that requires the death of the king's son. So the demands of justice could only be answered if it would shatter the hopes and dreams of the longings of a father's love. The Bible speaks of in Hosea chapter 11. It speaks of God and it speaks of the children of Israel who had had their ups and downs with God. It spoke of several things that the children of Israel had done wrong in the sight of God. And it starts making a good claim, a, a good 
jury, a good, I don't know what you want to call it, a good case for just wiping Israel out for just destroying them for everything that they had done wrong against God. It, were, it was painting in certain words that God ought to, if we could use that term, God ought to just destroy them, his son, Israel, and take care of them. But in all of this passage where it gives all the little bullet points of why he should just do away with them, it also paints the picture of a father's love and how his heart just recoils within him because this is his nation. This is his people. This is who they are. And perhaps, listen to me today, David was speaking beyond perhaps what he even understood. Amen. The only way that justice could really be served and love also respected is whenever David called out those words of lamentation over his son, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Would God... What are you saying, David? He would be better off if I substituted my life for your life this day. Folks, the whole answer to the problem of this Old Testament story of justice being demanded and yet the love of a father still being left intact was answered thousands of years later on a hill called Golgotha, on an old rugged tree. Because there had to be justice served, not for that man's own sins, but for the sins of the world. It demanded justice. It demanded a verdict. It had to happen. Amen. But also in that, there was the longings of a father of love. Amen. That was there. But the Bible tells us in that thing, scripture of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. On Calvary, the demand of justice were met but also the love of a father was still left intact because he loved him so much that he gave someone say amen and it's interesting to me we look at the life of Christ and he was in certain senses strung between heaven and earth where was Absalom at whenever the servant found him where was Absalom at? Whenever Joab went to him, he was held by his head on a tree between heaven and between earth awaiting a verdict. Somebody hear me right now today. I was thinking about this last night in prayer and we come maybe perhaps one service out of a year, amen, to church and we come to celebrate Easter. We come to celebrate Easter and I began to ask myself, what is Easter all about? And if I asked the question today, some would say the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Others might say, well, it's an empty tomb or it's an occupied cross or it's the blood that was shed that day or you can name a bunch of things that may in circle around this idea of Easter but whenever you understand this we come and I think this is the reason why we're comfortable with Easter because whenever we come at Easter time and we're celebrating his resurrection and we're looking at his death the focus is on Jesus the focus is on Jesus whenever you have the spotlight on someone 
It takes your attention off of anything else that may be lurking in the shadows. Focus on Jesus. Celebrate his death. And we should, and that's important. But listen to this pastor this morning. The focus that Jesus had on that first Easter wasn't himself. The focus that he had, Brother Fred McGee, was you and me. But we're comfortable to come on Easter Sunday because we put the light on Jesus. But if I could tell you this morning, Jesus is trying to reflect that light and put the spotlight on you. What are you going to do with what was done years ago? Yeah, we should celebrate that and that's great. But the focus is really me. I was strung between heaven and earth. There was a verdict. Justice had to come. But the longing of a love of a father was there. But thank God for a substitute. And I can apply that to It can only be solved with Calvary. Calvary gives the solution. But as men and women today, it's up to us to apply the solution to our human problem. We come at Easter time and look at his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But what Christ had in mind through all that was your death, your burial. And your rest. We come sometimes with the wrong perspective of Easter. It's all about him. But Christ made it. That all happened because it was really about you. But if I can keep the spotlight on him, then I don't have to give no accountability for me. If I can keep a spotlight, thank God for his shed blood. Thank God for I, I don't have to be accountable for me and my life and what I've done with what he did. Amen. But you need to turn. I'm turning the spotlight around today. Thank God for all of that. But the spotlight's on you. The spotlight's on you. The spot. What are you going to do with your own personal death, your own personal burial, your own personal resurrection? Someone say amen. Amen. Jesus even said before he left this earth, feast of the Passover was there. He knew that his hour was near. He meant in order to be that substitute, become, become, if you will, the substitute for all the world. He was going to depart out of this world. He knew all this was happening. And the Bible says that he loved his own that were in the world. And he loved them until the end the love of a father but demands of justice both being satisfied by Calvary Calvary became that third strand Calvary became that third strand that third cord that will not be quickly broken in that issue Pastor McGeehan just make me somebody that just views the cross from a distance Christ was on the cross. But you notice even the point in time that he was on the cross, his concern was consistently about the people around him. Father, forgive them. What's going on? Everybody's looking at Golgotha with the three crosses. There are spotlights there. Jesus says, let me put where the spotlight should be. Them. Gaining a lot of attention up here. John, behold your mother. Mother, there's John. 
what's he doing? He's trying to put Easter where Easter really needs to be. And the focus is on you and how you respond to what he did. Because some of us this morning are still strung between heaven and earth. And we've owned the character of Absalom. We've been rebellious. We've been, if I'm just saying layman's terms, a merciless idiot sometimes. We've done a lot of things. There's a lot of things in our portfolio that doesn't paint us in a good picture. But in all of that, there's still a love of a father that says at all cost, deal gently. And there's no answer to that but Calvary. There's no answer to that but the cross. If I may read just a few verses of Scripture of Romans chapter number 6 this morning. Someone say, this is about me. It is today. This is about me. So we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Christ is saying, what about your death? What about your burial? What about your resurrection? The Bible says in Romans chapter number 6 and verse 3, and I'll be mindful, try not to hold you much longer, but the Bible says this, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him, that's Jesus, by baptism into his death. That like us, Christ was raised, there's that resurrection, from the dead. By the glory of the Father. Even so we, everybody say me. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this. That our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Christ is putting the spotlight on you this Easter. And he's wondering if your stone has been rolled away yet. What about my death? Your death is repentance of those wrongs. What about my barrel? Your barrel is that dying and being buried with him in baptism and water in the lovely name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. What about that newness of life, this old man, this newness of life? What about this resurrection? That resurrection is God's spirit then coming and living inside of you. So while we're focusing on him today, don't get uncomfortable because you're about ready to step out of the shadows into the light because he wants to know what you're going to do with your personal death, burial, and resurrection. And the verdict in the scripture that I read to you was this. When all of this had taken place and all of this had happened, now if we be dead with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we shall also live with him. And look at verse 7 above that. For he that is dead is free from sin. If you'll stand with me this morning. Calvary's, Calvary's, Strand. 
talking about death today. Is it good tidings? Is it bad tidings? Is it good tidings because a wrong is made right? Is it bad tidings because of longings of love? How do we reconcile these two? We reconcile it with the cross. You can just bow your heads in here. We just, we reconcile this with the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's an empty tomb. Yes. Yes, it's blood that came from a back and from a forehead and for our healing and for our sins. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate you, God. But we come every year to celebrate that old death, burial, and resurrection. And what Christ would really like to celebrate today is a new death, burial, and resurrection in your life. In your life. In your life. He wants us to bring us to the table of accountability today. What are we going to do with the deed that he has done? What are we going to do with the deed that he has done? Whenever he went through what he went through, he wanted it to be more than just a date on the calendar that we come and celebrate every year. He wanted to have some type of impact, some type of effect upon the lives of humanity, not just in that moment, but in every generation that would follow. And this morning, that burden of responsibility lays upon our shoulders and so while you hear the screams of justice and the screams of love let Calvary come in and be the solution and be that third cord that intertwines all of this together today hallelujah these altars are open this morning if you have sat here this morning thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.